Hello, and welcome to the C-Store Decisions Live podcast. I'm John Lovestock, Editor-in-Chief of Convenience Store Decisions Magazine and the Executive Director of the National Advisory Group. Thank you for joining us. Please sit back and enjoy as we talk all things convenience retailing. Welcome to another edition of the Convenience Store Decisions Live podcast. I'm John Lovestock, Editor of Convenience Store Decisions. And today I'm happy to welcome our guest, uh, Susie Silliman, who is the Senior Vice President of Data Strategy and Sales for National Retail Solutions. And I'm sure many of you may know Susie from her days at MSA, uh, where I, personally I did a, a whole bunch of work with her and I know she did a lot of work and speaking throughout the industry. So Susie, how are you? Welcome. Hey, John. Thank you. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you. Hopefully you're safe and virus free. Yes, thank, uh, thank goodness there, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be uh, one of your podcast guests. Thank you. I'm glad you could join us. So uh, I've been following a lot of what you're doing at uh, NRS, and it's, you're producing some uh, outstanding uh, data and information. And NRS has a pretty unique data set that should have retailers and brands taking notice. So why don't you tell me a little bit about them and, and what makes them so unique? Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, it's super interesting and I'm obviously very excited about it. And what it is, is we really can offer first of its kind insights that are actually derived from point of sale scanner data data from over 8,000 independent merchants, uh, small format, call them what you will, convenience stores, bodegas, corner stores, neighborhood markets, um, mostly inner city that service a diverse multicultural customer base. And all of these stores are operating the NRS point of sale system. Great. So you're getting actual point of sale data, real real time, real point of sale data. Real time transactional level that can be sliced and diced every which way to really glean um, valuable and actionable insights with regards to that inner city independent that you know, you know, I know we've we've worked in this industry our entire careers, um, has been impossible to measure in the past. And because it has been so impossible to measure, it has also therefore been very hard and expensive to reach. So understanding the consumer in general is extremely important. So why is it important to understand how the multicultural consumer is shopping at uh, these inner city stores? Right, thanks. Uh, so when you think about these stores, right, they're again, your bodegas, your neighborhood markets, and they are servicing an urban dweller. And in, in most cases, in many cases, the, the neighborhoods where these stores really are vibrant is a you know, densely populated multicultural neighborhood. And we've all followed research. We know the demographic trends. We see the projected growth for the different multi, uh, multicultural demographic groups. And Hispanics in particular have accounted for over 50% of the U.S. population growth over the last 10 years. So it's super important not just to understand that demographic group's brand and product preferences, but we also need to recognize how important they are in influencing mainstream trends. Okay. Now, if I'm not mistaken, now, in, even in, within that subset, you can pretty much drill down in terms of Hispanic subset, correct? Like what, what Hispanic, what, country of origin where uh, they're looking for certain types of foods. 
you have some real granular data, don't you? Oh, most definitely. As you know, as we know, the preferences and the behaviors of um, your um, Mexican Hispanic is different from your Puerto Rican Hispanic and the um, Dominican Republic um, Hispanic, et cetera. So there are very different traditions and um, cultural preferences that influence the buying decisions. And across our universe, we have uh, we have stores in all of those varying neighborhood markets. We're able to link that up to census information. Um, but above and beyond that, we have our parent company, IDT's um, Boss Revolution, which is their um, international calling data, that we can actually see uh, the international minutes, calling plans, calling cards, those types of things that are being purchased in a store. So in terms of segmenting stores, and really being able to hone in on a, um, a, a very specific um, country of origin or tradition and culture of the shopper, uh, we have data that, that no one else in the industry has. Excellent. Now, uh, so you mentioned that uh, the uh, Understanding their brand and product preferences in a growing demographic segment is important. Do you have some examples of, of uh, what you what you're understanding and uh, what you're learning? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, again, absolutely. So let's uh, first, before I get into that, let's take a couple of steps back and um, and really think about mainstream trends, right? What we're experiencing as consumers, wherever you know, wherever we go, and if 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 it's um, dining out, or if it is, you know, shopping at a grocery store or a convenience store or what have you. When you look at the influence of the um, Hispanic demographic group on the mainstream, uh, you know, on the mainstream trends, it's it's really um, it's really outstanding. Uh, but did you know that there are nearly 50,000 Mexican restaurants across the U.S.? Did you know that? I did not. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? 50, there are 50 states and there are over 50,000 Mexican restaurants in the US. And that, you know, pre-COVID, uh, because we don't know what's going to happen in terms of uh, the sustainability of a lot of, you know, the smaller businesses uh, in a post-COVID uh, post environment, but pre-COVID, that, that number has been growing year over year. It's seen compound growth and, and most years it's seen double digit growth. Also, the food truck boom. There, there are over 8,000 taco trucks across the country. And again, year over year growth in terms of the, um, the prevalence of taco trucks. So from a food service perspective, both on wheels and brick and mortar, we're really seeing uh, a, a, an incredible amount of both options as well as growth coming from Hispanic-influenced cuisines. In addition to that, I recently read an Intel study that had reported that 48% of all millennials have eaten Central or South American foods in the past three months. So that's nearly half of the U.S. population between ages 26 and 40 that have eaten central 
or South American, on top of what we know in terms of the prevalence of um, consuming Mexican food. That's pretty uh, good information. Um, right. So then, no, okay. I was going to say, so then when you think about that on the product side, in terms of how it's influencing our own purchasing decisions, whether it's for immediate consumption or at-home consumption, spicy and hot snacking, huge boom. There's been a 33% increase in hot and spicy flavors in the U.S. snack product launches since 2016. And of course, you need to have a beverage to go with those um, spicy and hot snacking choices. Uh, so let's, let's think about adult beverages. Tequila and Moscow, they're growing faster than any other hard liquor. And the Mexican brand Modelo is America's fastest growing beer brand. So again, this is a representation not only of the strength of the growing demographic segment, but this demographic segment's preferences and choices and how that really influences mainstream America. Well, I hear good things about uh, beer and tequila, so I'll have to try those uh, someday, hopefully. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that those are both very new to you. <laughs> So uh, in, now, when we analyze this uh, demographic and how it's growing, are you able to connect or see anything specific in your stores that would be some good early indicators on how they'll impact mainstream sales? Yeah, sure. Um, let's, let's use beer as a case in point. So at a national level, Bud Light's the number one beer. But in our stores, it is Modelo. And it has been Modelo. So again as as an early indicator if you had been analyzing data from our stores looking for emerging trends understanding how the hispanic segment is influencing the overall mainstream market you would have known that you would have had insight to that if you're a convenience store retailer that sells beer i cannot i can't imagine not selling modelo mm -hmm. Understood. Great. Another great example. What do you think the number one non-tobacco item sold across the NRS network is? Any guesses? Number one, um, I'll say a fruit, maybe something like bananas or something like that. No, it's El Milagro 36 count tortillas. Aha, uh -huh. that was my second guess. <laughs> would you even have guessed that though i would not no right and that was something that was a, a pretty big surprise to me of course again um understanding that our stores are catering to a multicultural shopper the number one non-tobacco item is a 36 count tortilla and you know we just discussed a few minutes ago the mainstream popularity of mexican south and central american cuisines so again, if, if I'm thinking about as a convenience store retailer and owner and operator, what this means to me, if I sell fresh bread and buns, I really should think about also having at least one skew of tortillas right beside those items. Mm -hmm. 
Would you agree with that? I do. And that's the importance of, of having access to data like this. Uh, so when you're looking at the data, what else stands out then um, as being different from a national conventional C-Store? So um, e-cigs and vape, not as big in our stores as the conventional convenience. Um, they're actually selling in less than 40% of our stores that sell tobacco products. So that's um, both? both? Sticking, I'm sorry? I'm sorry, that's both e-cigs and vape, both of them? Are less uh, that's at, right as a as a total uh, grouping those group, group grouping those two together mm -hmm. uh, they're selling in less than forty percent of our stores that sell tobacco that's correct okay right and then um, keeping with the uh, within the the tobacco category on the conventional convenience side moist always is second to um, cigarettes in terms of uh, share of category, dollar sales, et cetera. In our stores, it's mass-produced popular price cigars. Okay. And that's by a significant difference, right? By a significant margin. Um, on the candy side, because everybody loves candy, at the national level, from a conventional convenience perspective, seven out of the top 10 items are king-size bars. However, within our stores, Seven of the top ten items are standard bars. Interesting. So that uh, that opens up the front counter, I guess, to uh, to put a little more higher margin items on the front counter. And uh, I'm not sure what would be driving that trend. Any, any thoughts? I mean, it could be quite a few things, right? It it could be a difference in the um, in in the customer base itself um, who you know the shopper who is typically frequent frequ frequenting the conventional convenience your petroleum you know gas station convenience um, is often a very different shopper than the urban dweller who may be running into their corner store their bodega on a daily basis and uses that bodega as a um, really as a proxy for their own pantry. Um, so it, it, from a, a shopper perspective, um, the, the profile of that shopper is, you know, is very different and their reasons for visiting the store are also very different. Um, I, do th I think it's important to note that uh, you know, today in terms of NRS stores, um, they are all non-petroleum. So, these stores are a destination where the shopper is coming for inside sales purposes as, um, as a deliberate shopping trip, um, as opposed to coming into the store while they're um, you know, filling up their tank on a weekly basis or, um, or whatnot. And I think in a previous conversation, you had mentioned that uh, there are multiple for a lot of people, it's multiple trips per day to the store, right? It's not uncommon to see that? Um, it is definitely not uncommon to see that uh, for a couple of reasons. One, again, um, the proximity to, to their residence, it's, it's typically in the path of um, going and coming from work. These stores also serve as community builders. So there is a social element to a lot of the bodegas and, and corner markets that have people going in there 
you know, to get the, the, the news of the day or the neighborhood gossip or to, you know, see, see their buddy who, um, who is the store owner. There's a, a level of personalization and um, true family bonding that occurs in these stores. So you're, you're absolutely right. There was a study that was uh, published last year, actually last spring um, by Acosta that, that had um, stated that 56% of um, urban residents who shop inner city grocery types of stores visit these stores on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a, a um, sort of stark contrast to the frequency of daily visits in conventional convenience or traditional grocery, supermarkets, drug, mass merch, all other retail channels. So the opportunity to really engage with the shopper in these markets is is so frequent and from a um, from an ability to really influence their purchases uh, within each of those store visits compound by each of their visits it's um, it's quite tremendous when you think about from a brand perspective the um, the difference in the ability and opportunity to really um, convey your message and reinforce that message when you're leveraging different types of vehicles in, you know, in these inner city stores. Okay. Now, uh, I do want to uh, keep this uh, on a relatively uh, uh, easy to manage time frame. So I, I'd be remiss if we didn't kind of jump into what some conventional convenience stores can learn from uh, inner city independence as we deal and continue to uh, navigate the COVID waters and how COVID-19 is affecting the marketplace. So any insights you can lend to that? Right, absolutely. Yeah, again, John, um, absolutely. So what we have seen in our stores is um, we have, we, we saw the surge, right? Um, our stores had been, con- or have been considered uh, essential stores. Uh, the majority of them remained open. And again, because they are in the neighborhoods where there is such dense population that is residing, these were the go-to stores and these are the go-to stores under lockdown. So, you know, no longer um, are the inner city folks jumping from bus to bus and subway to subway on Saturday to go and do a Costco run, uh, you know, for their, for their two weeks grocery trips on, uh, you know, on a weekend morning. Uh, but they are really leveraging that close in proximity, bodega, corner market, corner store, et cetera. So our, we saw a surge across the board in all categories um, of sales for our stores that have really um, maintained at a much higher level than pre-COVID, um, pre-COVID levels. So we continue to see, while we did certainly see the, the, the pantry loading for the shelf-stable items and, of course, the disinfected products or, you know, disinfecting products and the paper goods, et cetera, even when that, um, that peak leveled off, where, where it has leveled off is significantly above COVID levels. So we are seeing that um, 
you know, that the, the shoppers remain greater than greater than usual in terms of their trips to these stores and their total basket ring when they're coming to these stores. Um, but when you think about these stores, like I had just mentioned, where we saw super, you know, super um, significant spikes, of course, was personal hygiene, disinfectant, um, household products, your paper products, your shelf stables, your essentials. And, you know, as we think about how we, again, as consumers are going to navigate a you know, navigate a world where we're living with COVID, at least until there's a widely available vaccine, or, you know, post-COVID, once our behaviors have changed and we have new habits, you know, it brings to question, um, you know, how we are going to perceive those trips to club stores and, and supermarkets. And one thing that certainly the conventional convenience stores can learn from these bodegas and, and corner markets is the importance of carrying a few SKUs of these essential items in these essential categories. And in doing that, it really will enable them to become a destination for those shoppers who just don't want to deal with, you know, going into their neighborhood supermarket and, you know, potentially having to interact with more people and crowds and more risk if they are able to satisfy um, their immediate shopping needs of essential items, you know, with, you know, within their neighborhood convenience store. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. That and makes sense. That does. Uh, what are you seeing now in uh, some of these stores from the, re uh, the research or what the data tells you? Are, are, are things kind of slowly getting back to normal or would you venture to put a guess on you know, when things will be as close to normal as we're going to get for the foreseeable future? So um, from that, there's, there are a couple of dimensions to that. From a uh, normal perspective, we have seen um, most, if not all, of our stores that were temporarily shut down um, reopen. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, most of our stores remained open. It was a very small percentage uh, in in particular areas that, that did shut down. But we have seen um, all most, if not all, of those stores reopen. Um, but as I had mentioned before, sure we saw a, a super you know a super spike, uh, and then a leveling off. Where we are seeing that leveling off and that plateau is still in most categories above the pre-COVID level. We haven't in most categories seen a correction, so to speak, um, to the sales levels that were the baseline pre-COVID. So, so it's still trending, while it's plateaued, it's still trending significantly above pre-COVID levels um, across, across most of the categories in our stores. All right, well, uh, we could go on uh, for quite a bit on this, but uh, I want to keep this at a manageable level. So uh, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? Um, just a, a reiteration of uh, how important the inner city independent is in your mm -hmm. overall small format strategy. And of course, the importance of the multicultural shopper uh, in, in terms of your overall um, brand marketing strategy.
Great. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Susie is also a, a columnist, a frequent columnist, or contributes some columns to the Convenience Store Decisions magazine. So we always look forward to her, her insights and, and thank her for her participation. So you can, uh, if you have any uh, thoughts or questions, you can email me at uh, jlovestock at WTWH Media, and I'll pass them on to Susie and she'll get back to you with uh, some answers and ideas. Uh, with that, Susie, I'd like to thank you again for, uh, for joining us here on C-Store Decisions Live. I, I appreciate your insights. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun. Good, good. And be well and be safe. And uh, I look forward to chatting again soon. That wraps up another edition of C-Store Decisions Live. I'm uh, John Lostock. I uh, look forward to having you join us again on a future podcast. Be well. Take care. Thank you for joining us. I'm John Lovestock, and this is the C-Store Decisions Live podcast. If you'd like to join us on a future podcast, please email me at jlovestock at wtwhmedia.com. Have a great day.